Hey, this is Chuck Dixon, and you're listening to Signal of Doom. Well, you know, for me, the action is the juice. I'm in. Hello and welcome to Signal of Doom, a very special episode. We have Stephen Grant, uh, the man who wrote Punish a Circle of Blood. I mean, a guy that we often talk about on the show. And Stephen, welcome to Signal of Doom. It's a pleasure to have you here. Oh, thank you. I had no idea you often talked about me. Oh, we yeah, we're, we're big Punisher fans. And so I consider that it's, it's the book that really got me into mainstream liking comics. Uh, so it's, it's a large chunk of the reason I even do the show, frankly. Oh, well, thank, you. thank you. Now, Stephen, uh, I believe you're in Las Vegas. Is that correct? Uh, just outside. Just outside. How is how is that? I've only been to Vegas once, and I re- we really enjoyed it. How is it to live uh, there? That's about all you can say about Las Vegas. It's hot. In a way, it's got the best weather in the uh, country because that's all it is. It's hot. Yeah, it's a desert. Uh, you yeah. don't get rain. Yeah, I mean, you don't get rain very often. We're getting a little of it this week, but. You don't get it very often. You don't get bad winters. You know, I mean, you never get snow. No. I mean, if, we, if we get snow, it sticks for about five minutes. Right. And, uh, you know, and you, you don't get earthquakes. You don't get all that bad stuff. There's nothing here that burns. So, you know. Is there much of a, a comic book, uh, like a, a big comic book stores there or anything? Like, I mean, what's there? There are. Actually, I think. I think we may have more comic book stores per capita than anywhere else in the world. I don't go into any of them, but uh, they're out there. I keep running across more of them. That's great. And do you occasionally do signings and stuff like that kind of thing? They invite you in? I generally don't do Mm. signings where I live. Yeah, fair enough. I'll I'll do them, uh, you know, I'll I'll go to conventions and do them. I'll do a convention here once in a while, but I I don't really want, you know, I just soon not walk into a uh, grocery store and be besieged by people. Yeah, you know? that would be Not a bit that, of... I mean, that yeah. sounds kind of egotistical, but it does happen. So. No, no, I understand. I understand. <laughs> well, look, Stephen, in getting ready for this interview, um, I did a bit of research, and I saw that when you first broke in um, at Marvel uh, back, I guess it must have been late 70s, you did some work on co-writing with Roger Stern on Incredible Hulk very early on in your career. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How was it writing Hulk back then? I'm imagining this was the year they had the Bill Bixby, Lou Ferrigno show. Uh, um, it was, you know, it was really, it was just a job. They they mm. were aware of the show. They did The comic didn't really emphasize it much. No. You know, whether it was not brought up a lot, but... Uh, That's but interesting. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Roger would do plots and just hand them to me to script for the most part. So right, I think yeah. I so... had two or three issues. I, I personally consider Roger Stern um, one of the finest comic book writers around. Um, oh, I understand. Did you have a friendship with him as you broke through at Marvel? Was he an influence oh, yeah. on you? Yeah, yeah. well, that's he's how I broke, broke in at Marvel. Because um, I knew Roger through fandom for several years at that point. And he had, I'd worked for on a fanzine that he was an editor on called CPL, which Bob Layton published. Right. Uh what was the, what did that stand? Contemporary pictorial literature is very highbrow, right? Wow. And uh, they, they tried to put that, that across. It was a fun magazine to, uh, to both write, and, write for and read. But um, he then moved to New York and got a job as an assistant editor in, in, uh, at Marvel. Right. So I was living in Madison, Wisconsin. I grew up in Madison, Wisconsin. Right. And was, you know, which is a 
okay place to grow up, but not a place you want to spend the rest of your whole life. Sure. And, yeah. <laughs> and so um, I would just go to New York on vacation every once in a while and would crash at Rogers because, uh, you know, he had an apartment and I didn't have any money. So this is sure. what we did in those days, college. Yeah. College. Yeah. And, uh, and so in April of, April of 1978, I was going in over Easter week. Mm. And uh, so I called him up and I said, is it okay to, to stay at your, uh, if I can stay at your place for the week? And he said, when are you coming in? I said, uh, it should be Sunday night. He said, great, be ready to write an issue of Marvel 2 and 1 on Monday morning. <laughs> because, he, because he had just been elevated to full editor and was given several books and he did all, write most of them were in a mess. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, as he put it, and I don't believe this is true, but he said, I mean, I don't see any way it could be true, but it might be true that uh, Marvel 2 and 1 was 18 months behind schedule. Wow. So so he was just collecting stories from Marvel 2 and 1. Was that the, and, was that the book that had the thing a lot? Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. And the thing was a character that I had never really had any desire to write. Sure. You know, I mean, sure. I don't mind reading things, stories, but mm. no interest in, in him as, in story terms whatsoever. But it was a chance for and, you to break in, uh, like it's a pretty, like it's a two in one, so it's thing and someone else. It's a right. good opportunity, you know? Right. Mm. So, and also he and I had discussed for years about how I probably didn't have the right sensibility to write Marvel comics, which. <laughs> Probably true. So when he said this, I took the attitude of, well, okay, so I'll write one Marvel comic and get on with my life. This will yeah. be fun. So he said, just pick any character and write a story. So I thought about it. I thought, well, let's just be really meta about it. I didn't use the word meta at the time because sure. nobody knew what it meant. But mm. let's just be really meta about it, and I'll write a Moon Knight story in the first person. Moon Knight? Yeah, okay. You know, so it was the thing in Moon Knight. Oh, right, because of the name Stephen Grant, right? Yeah, I see now. Right. And Moon Knight was another character that not only did I not have any particular interest in writing, Mm. but I kind of had a mild resentment toward the character. So, and But he had had, the name, by the way, had nothing to do with me. It was a uh, college room. All three names, as far as I know, all three names of Moon Knight uh, that Doug Mensch came up with were his college roommates. Gotcha. Were from yeah. his college roommates. Just a coincidence, so, basically. Just a strictly coincidence. Mm. And so I wrote that, and uh, I got in on, on that Sunday night and went in with him to the offices at 8 o'clock on Monday morning, and he sat me down on a typewriter, and I typed for a couple hours and came up with like a five-page plot mm. and handed it to him, and... He read over it, made a bunch of notes on it, handed it back to me. I retyped it, typed in the notes. I handed it back to him. He read it again and handed me a voucher, and that was it. And I, you know, kind of thought that was pretty much the end of it. And That's it was cool. a, it was a fun day at Marvel Comics, and you know, <laughs> just just an experience, one more experience. But that's great and, because Roger Stern, what a person to have uh, reviewing your very first issue. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. like <laughs> well, I'm, I mean, I I kind of had an idea of what he needed, so yeah. it wasn't like uh, it wasn't like I was just coming in out of the blue. Yeah, but, no, that's cool. So but, with with um uh like I I was I was researching. You also did quite a bit of Marvel team up, and I saw a Spider Man and Ghost Rider issue on uh, oh, Marvel yeah. Unlimited, which I enjoyed. So you did quite a few of these. Like, 
did you or editorial and office Roger or another editor who came up with the team ups? Like, did you say it's gonna be Spider Man and Ghost Rider, or did they tell um, you Spider Man and Ghost Rider? Well, I varied from varied with the book, but uh, I don't really remember for the most part. Mm. I I think they were probably well. They, they, I think the bees. I may have pitched the Black Panther. The first one I did was Black Panther, which mm-hmm. was like, I forget what, the 87 or something like that. Yeah. 20, I don't know, whatever the number was then. Oh, right, and, yeah, it doesn't uh, matter. Yeah. I think it was 87. Mm-hmm. And then um, that was came out like several issues early, and that was just Al Milgram needed a uh, story, so he assigned me the story. That's how it worked. You know, you walked in and they assigned you a story and they didn't pay well enough to, to turn them down. Of course. So, uh, you know, if you wanted more work, you took whatever work they, they asked you to do. Was it and, enough to uh, live on? Like, I mean, I'm imagining you were living in New York. So when you're working uh, for Marvel in these early days and you're doing Marvel team-ups and they're kind of, you know, I imagine it's it, you're kind of churning them out. Is it Was it enough to live on or did you have to have another job as well? Well, I mean, I wrote all kinds of things. I, mm. I wrote, I was writing music reviews for a magazine called Trouser Prep. Uh, trouser press right and and i was uh at least part of that time i was working for the uh children's television workshop on their magazines and and oh. the spidey super stories comic book so you're busy and, yeah you dug up whatever work you find but no it wasn't really enough to live on uh, i was i actually took eight months to uh find it it took eight months to find an apartment because times were so tight on housing there just like they are today and so I was uh, sleeping on Roger's couch the whole time. I love it. And was this, the, this would have been around the time he was doing Spider-Man? Was this around the time he was doing Spider-Man? No, that was later. Oh, was okay. Later. This, is, this is like 78 to 79. Okay, so, okay, but not a million miles I, I one. Moved, yeah. I moved there in late August, 78. So it was, I think it was till April of 79. Okay, the gritty was, streets of New York City back in the late 70s. is like an episode of Taxi Driver. <laughs> it wasn't that bad. I mean, I never had any problem in New York City. It was just kind of this fun, slightly grubby place to live. It was, it was pretty, it was a pretty cool place to live. I bet. I, I bet. Yeah. No, I bet. Um. So I saw. Uh, we're big GI Joe fans at uh, Signal of Doom. Yo Joe's out there, and I know that you did a couple of one shots on the '80s title. A nice diplomat story I enjoy, and a cool one with Clutch, where he goes back to Jersey on leave. Um. Was it fun writing for the Joes? Uh, yeah, it was a lot more fun than I expected because this was, I mean, I hate to sound redundant, but this was another concept I had no interest in. No, but, no I understand. Yeah, you know, you're a pro. But like I say, when they, when they offer you work, you take the work because otherwise they stop offering you work. And uh, so that first issue with The Diplomat, was it, it's become a very funny experience for me because everybody walks up to me conventions say you know this is like one of my favorite issues of gi joe (laughs) it is good it is good (laughs) and i go you know they lost that one right (laughs) (laughs) true i mean i I, it was basically me mocking the concept of gi joe (laughs) and uh and then the second one was you know i was a little less uh the second one's fun. Clutch goes back to Jersey and he meets up with his friend and his friends yeah. in league with Hydra, uh, with Cobra. Um, yeah, no, it's, tell the difference. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's great. Like, um, I always felt that obviously um, Larry Hummer, uh, he wrote the vast bulk of G.I. Joe. He did a great job in fleshing them out. Um, you oh, know, no, it was definitely Larry's book. 
Yeah, yeah, amazing. Did you ever get a chance in all the years later to ever work again on G.I. Joe after those? Like, was there ever an opportunity? Um, I might have been able to work on the cartoon show if I'd really wanted to, because I knew, when I moved to Los Angeles, I knew those guys. But not on the comic. No, I didn't really have any more G.I. Joe stories in me that, I, that I'm aware of. Yeah, no, so. I understand. Um, now... I looked at, um, and I saw that you were involved with Contest of Champions. I think this is billed huh. as one of Marvel's first miniseries, um, if not it their first. first. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. And you co-wrote with uh, Mark Grunwald and Bill Mantlow. Um, I was wondering what your recollections were of this one, because I read this in the lead-up to the show. It's pretty cool. Well, you know, this is another thing at conventions. People walk up and they say, hey, what was it like <laughs> to work on, to, to know you were, you know, to work on Contest of Champions. Yeah. The fact is, when we were working on Contest of Champions, we didn't know we were working on Contest of Champions because when we did it, it was a supposed to be a giant size, you know, like the, the Superman versus Spider-Man. Like a hundred page or something. Yeah, like, yeah the, you know, the huge treasury edition. Mm -hmm. And it was supposed to be Marvel Comics at the Summer Olympics because oh. Bill and I had done a Hulk and Spider-Man at the Winter Olympics like six months earlier. Okay, cool. and so they were they were doing the Summer Olympics version. Awesome! And what Olympics and, was this? Was this Moscow? Was this Moscow or Los Angeles? Or? Yeah, this is Moscow. So, yeah. so about you know while we when after we had finished doing it, um, then before but before it got published, Russia decided to invade Afghanistan. Oh yeah. And uh, President Carter said, okay, in protest, we're pulling out of the Summer Olympics. So suddenly Marvel had a book they couldn't publish, and it went in the drawer. And then a couple, month, a couple months, uh, about a year, year and a half later, whatever the time frame was mm. on it, um, Jim Shooter was trying to convince the powers that be at Marvel to do miniseries because other companies were, get, were doing them and yep. having success with them. And... And, and I, by the way, from the moment I got there, was trying to get them to do miniseries because that's what I wanted to do. Cool. And uh, they weren't listening to me. But, you know, but um, they said, well, if you can find something that's not going to cost us any money, then you can, uh, you know, then you can do it. And Jim went to the drawer and found went into the uh, yeah, into the drawer and found this and then brought in John Romita and Bill to mm. write some paid write some extra page write and draw some extra pages and expand it into a three issue miniseries from whatever this treasury edition was. And oh, that's how it became Contest of Champions. So we had no idea we were working on And Contest that's why it's got all because when I was reading it, it's got like Arabian Nights, got an Israeli superhero and that's why there's like an international flavor to a lot right, of the stuff. Right. Yeah. yeah, we had to create all of them because we looked over the Marvel stuff and there were, you know, there wasn't any, there weren't any international superheroes that weren't already in the X Men. A lot of them were in Manhattan, weren't they? Like just in in Most general, of them, yeah. <laughs> very focused. Um, well, that's in, that's very interesting. Um, I've got a question for you. As I was as I was reading it, um, and this is kind of a bigger question about superheroes and writing superheroes. Okay. Is it hard when you're writing like superheroes, like a you know a generic Marvel superhero um, thing like that? to not just feel like you're smashing action figures around, or is that part of the fun of it as a writer, you know? Um, a bit of both. Mm. Yeah, no, I understand, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, that's the only one of those with the huge cast I've ever really been involved with, and it was it was a big puzzle, you know. It was, I mean, it, it, back in those days, I kind of viewed comics writing, and I, I still do to some extent, but it's a little more nuanced now, as problem-solving. 
You know, mm -hmm. that was the main way to write is that you present yourself with a problem and figure out a way to solve it. And that was pretty much how we worked on that book. We figured out what the problems were and we, you know, put yeah. it together and solved it. Mark and I actually came up with a whole array of, uh, you know, because Mark and I did the first plot on it, which we thought, well, we know what what fights everyone wants to see. Mm. And, you know, these these are the boring ones, like they want to see the thing versus the Hulk or whatever, you know. These are the boring ones, and we don't want to see that, so we'll come up with a bunch that aren't like that. And so Bill got it and massaged the plot into that, into what you see. With He changed around a lot of the uh, fight scenes. But it's, a, it's a good one. I'm I mean, for... his was worse, because yeah. it probably wasn't, but... <laughs> Yeah, no, I I think it's a good one, and it's a you great know, so, one to have that. You you have that you have that banner like it's the first Marvel miniseries of all time, and it's a good one, you know. And they uh, they went and did um what's it called Secret Wars a few years later, which obviously right. kind of it's a similar concept, you know what I mean? I like was, yeah. Secret Wars was definitely a response to uh, to Contest of Champions because Contest did so well. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, now I'm I'm going to move through the years now, Stephen. But as someone who cut their teeth at Marvel in the late '70s, early '80s, as we've discussed, how quickly and how fast did you see the medium change in the '80s? Like as the mid '80s hit, uh, did it change? You know, it, it, the the comics seemed to radically have changed from even like that late '70s. Like, did you notice it as a writer, and you sort of responded to it at the time? Oh, I was trying to push it along. To yeah, true. Yeah, and I don't think. If you read my stuff, you're going to get that. You're going to notice that a lot. But I was trying to uh, do different things in it. Um, you know, uh, the, the change had already started in the 70s, and I was very aware of all that stuff. And uh, and there were, you know, basically things I wanted to do, like the Punisher miniseries. Yeah, man, we're about to. Don't worry, we're going to get there. That's for sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah. but, yeah, you know, I mean, it was uh, – there were different things I wanted to see in different – and, you know, a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff um, – mm. That I can't tell you about that that I because I mean I was always hanging around the offices because they'll kill you they'll kill you if you if you if you if you talk out of turn they might come and uh, Marvel yeah. might come and uh, send an assassin around yeah uh, <laughs> you know I'm I'm not concerned about that but it's just you know I, I don't really want to start any uh, sure any online wars or anything so sure of course um, of course yeah so you know so. Uh, but there was rumblings because in the late seventies, if I'm if my you know knowledge is correct, like that's around the time that Frank Miller's working on Daredevil. You can right. you can sort well, of see the seeds. Yeah, early 80s. yeah, but you can you can yeah, see right, the seeds. Right you, you can kind of see the seeds of all that stuff, which then bears fruit. Like around the time that you do Circle of Blood, and you've got like Dark Knight right. Returns and all that stuff. Like it's you can kind of see it developing, can't you? And and you were there, so you must have seen it like live. Oh yeah, no. Well, like I said, I mean, I was kind of prodding it along. I, it. I was actually fairly friendly with Frank then, and was dragging him to film like you know Sam Fuller films, like mm. uh, Pick Up on South Street and things like that. And you know, great movie and great uh, movie. Yeah, I mean, I love that film, but you know, it's it's always the where he's pulling the guy down the stairs and the chin bounces. That gets everyone's attention. That got Frank's attention, and uh, you know, so I mean, I I was, you know, I was always interested in doing that stuff. It wasn't really a response to anyone else. It was just what I wanted to do. Yeah, it was your but own motivation. You know, yeah, hard to prove it. Hard to prove it now because I wasn't in a position to be the first one to do it. No, yeah. but but we've <laughs> got a we've got a few things here that we're going to mention where I can see it now. Just before we move away from Marvel, I noticed a couple of years ago they resurrected Contest of Champions, 
Um, do you ever put out feelers or do they ever come to you at any time and say, you know what, Stephen, have you got a mini series in you? Because it seems like with your body of work, you know. Oh, not commonly. Once I'll hear from an editor there and they'll see something. I mean, I, well, they'll call me up to do work, but uh, lately it's been right, things like writing introductions to their collections and things like that. Right. I did one for the... Uh, a recent Spider-Woman collection because I was basically the last surviving person from it. And uh, and I knew Mark, you know, could, and I wrote like basically a memorial to Mark who I was very friendly with for a number of years. Yeah. Great and, writer. Uh, Great Mark Greenwald, yeah? And things like that are what they ask me to do. But no, they generally don't... Uh, they don't, don't reach out. ...to ask what my latest ideas for Marvel Comics are. Oh, I just thought considering like your body of work and I'm thinking of things like Punisher and stuff, like I'm surprised they don't reach out to some of you guys and go, have you got like a three, four issue, you know? Well, I mean, it really depends on the editor. Once in a while, I don't think anyone's opposed to it, but, Mm. um, but, you know, it's like generally, it's funny, generally it's when you get a new editor in who grew up reading comics and they think, oh man, I really love this stuff. Let's get him to do a story. You know, mm. that's when you get a uh, call from them. But, uh, you understand. know, I mean, I, I'm not that concerned with it. I got plenty of other words. So. No, I'm sure you do, man. I'm sure you do. Um, now, I whisper, I started reading this for the show. I was, I'm, I'll be honest with you. I wasn't aware of it, um, but... A very enjoyable book, and it seemed to me to be very much in the vein of those strong, gritty, independent comics of the early 80s. Um, what was it like doing Whisper and finding a fan base in in that time period? Because it seemed like it was an era of experimentation. and all that I kind of don't stuff. know if it ever found a fan base in that time period. Really? But, um, but no, it, it was basically, it was my experimental book. I mean, a, largely the appeal of Whisper to me was, was playing around with narrative. Mm-hmm. And uh, doing different things and different structures and things like that, um, you know, I, it was it was my firstborn, so it was you know near and dear to it's still near and dear to me. And uh, do you own the and, rights to that one? Um, could you do? Could you update that and transition it to a modern era if you found a publisher? Oh, I, as a matter of fact, I am currently writing a whisper graphic novel. Oh, fantastic! That's one, of, that's one of my current projects. I'm I should have finished it about two months ago, but I'm still working on it. So. Well, um, God, all the best with that, because I do want to point out to listeners, um, if you're familiar with Stephen's work, uh, such as on Punisher, etc., check out Whisper, because I think it's great. I, uh, a mate of mine, Nathan, put me onto it, and I re- started reading in, in for this show, and I was like, man, this is really good. It's first comics, yeah, which there was a lot of first comics at the time um, that was sort of strong, like... I think Mike Barron's Badger was first comics as well. Uh, Nexus, Nexus. Well, I mean, Nexus yeah. Badger and Whisper were were um, first from Capital Comics, and then when Capital went under, they well, they didn't go under, but they Capital was also a distributor and were getting complaints from the people they were distributing that they shouldn't be publishing comics too, so they shut down their publishing, and then the books went to first. Right. So that's how they got there. So, okay. um, so a strong set of comics that came out from first comics. When I look back yeah. in the history. Yeah. Uh, and um, yeah, am I right that um, John Ostrander is? He, did his Grimjack come from First Comics as well? No, no, Grimjack was original with uh, First. Okay, yeah, it was the first comic. Okay, gotcha. Um, but yeah, so you're working on a graphic novel. Let me know when that's coming out, Stephen, okay. because we will promote it on the show for sure. And I and I, you know, happy to because I think it's a great, great comic. And is it set now or is it set back in yes, the eighties? No, it's set. It's set currently, and she has more or less aged normally. Really? Wow. So. 
Okay, yeah. wow, oh, that's interesting. Um, now uh, I've te- I've teased it throughout this uh, conversation. We've we've come to uh, punish a circle of blood, which you did with my exec. Now, I mean, I'm sh- I'm sure you've done this to death on podcasts, but I just want to say to you that okay. I actually think it's a perfect book. I really do. I I and. Now, take us through this. Now, I believe you've been carrying this pitch around for a few years. Was it always Punisher as the lead? Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm. No, it, what happened was in ni- late 1976, mm. I was going to a convention in New York City. And again, college days, no money. Sure. So Bob Layton, who was publishing, still publishing CPL, this was, this was actually, yeah, this is right after he moved to... Uh, to Connecticut to become Dick Giordano. I think it was Dick Giordano and Wally Wood's assistant. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, oh, well, if you're if you're going to New York, you've got to stay with Duffy Voland, who was an artist who worked for them and was also a production manager at uh, Marvel at the point, mm-hmm. at the time. And Duffy had this apartment way the hell out in the boondocks of uh, <laughs> Brooklyn. You know, you had to get right. off the thing and walk two miles through this wild dog infested swamp to uh, get to his, his apartment and uh, it was great fun and they said you got to stay you got to stay with Duffy Voland so I call up Duffy Voland who I didn't know and he said oh you're with the CPL guys yeah you got to come stay with me that's fine and when I got there he said okay well here's what you're going to do because this is how you're going to pay your rent while you're staying with me you got to uh, you got to come up with some pitches and take them in game to you know and uh, pitch them to Marvel, right? Because it was the week between Christmas. It was the week between Christmas and New Year's, and it was dead. Mm. And Marv Wolfman, who was the editor in chief at the time, was the only guy there. Marv does not remember this at all, but I right. have a very clear memory of it. Yeah. And uh, I said, "What am I supposed to do here?" He said, "Well, just pick some characters they're not doing anything with right now and come up with." Uh, come up with, with series ideas for them, and then I'll get you in to see Marv. So, and because Duffy just wanted as many people working for Marv that he knew working for Marvel as possible. So I came up with three things. One was a uh, Black Knight miniseries. Mm-hmm. One was a uh, Punisher miniseries. And I didn't, and I forget, well, I think the third one, the third one was either Nick Fury or Black Widow, but I don't remember cool. any details about that one. Yeah. But, um, but the... Uh, you know, so I sat down and I came up with this story for the Punisher, and I took it in, pitched to Marv. Marv was very nice, but it was clear that he was not not going to give me any work at that point. He yeah. just go, you know, he but he listened very patiently. He was very pleasant, and he was doing basically doing a favor for Duffy, which you know was fine with me because I didn't go there with any anticipation of. Yeah, you just lobbed into his house, and suddenly you're pitching a Marvel, and you're like, if they take it, they take right. it; if they don't, they don't. You know. Right. Right. It's, you know. So. Uh, so Marv listened to me and he said, yeah, okay, um, we can't really do anything with those, but thank you for coming <laughs> in. And I thanked him for the interview and I left. And, you know, that was pretty much the end of that. Except in the back of my head, I thought, you know, I actually really like this story. Because I, I, see, my approach was was very, has very rarely been character driven. Yep. It's always right. been story driven. I've yep. got stories I want to tell and the characters fit the stories. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's that's the easiest way for me to work, basically. If if you give me a character and I have to find a story for them, that's a lot more work for me. Sure. But, you're um, you're plot-driven. Yeah? Right. Mm. Right. Well, story-driven. Story-driven. Plot-driven okay. and story-driven. Okay. Uh, things that I want to achieve with stories. Um, and so uh, I had this sitting in the back of my head. And when I got started actually writing for Marvel, I thought... 
you know, I really want to do that Punisher story. So I'd go to various editors. Every time there was a new editor, I'd go and pitch them the Punisher story. And I would always get the Punisher. Yeah. Nobody wants the Punisher. He's a third-rate character. Why would we want to read that? Wow. Why would anyone be interested? Why would we want to publish that? You know, because it was just basically a completely dismissed character at that point. Because at that point, he was like almost like a villain slash any hero in, in Spider-Man a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, mm. yeah. And, you know, and there was a story that, Bill Mantlo did where he's, you know, just suddenly running around. He just basically goes crazy and is running yeah. around shooting jaywalkers for yeah. jaywalking and things yeah. like that. Yeah. You know, taking it to the, to the, um, the crazy extent. Yeah. You know, just taking it to the extreme. Yeah. And, but I still wanted to do this. And then, uh, Mike was on secret wars mm. and got, was getting off Secret Wars. And my wife, who at that point was Denny O'Neill's assistant editor, okay. I had met her at Marvel. Right. Um, she's still my wife, by the oh, way. Oh, congratulations. Um, yeah. She um, said, you know, you should call Mike. Because I had worked with Mike on one of those Marvel team-ups with the Shroud, which I enjoyed working with him, and I enjoyed working on the Shroud character. Mm. I actually had a Shroud series in mind, too. But... Um, after that point. And uh, so I called up Mike and I said, hey, uh, yeah, I don't know if you remember me. He said, oh, yeah, yeah, of course I remember you. Uh, you know, what do you want? Mm. I said, well, you know, I, I know you're coming off Secret Wars and I was finding out if you had anything uh, uh, on your plate because I'm trying to get this Punisher miniseries off the ground. He said, you know, that's really weird because I was just talking to John Beatty, who was his assistant. Mm -hmm. uh, and I his not his assistant, his anchor yep. on uh, Secret Wars and his, the anchor that he worked with most. And John was staying with him in Connecticut at the time. And he said, we were just discussing projects. And both of us said, you know who we'd, who would be really cool to work on? The Punisher. Yeah. So then we talked about it. And Mike was a little trepidatious about it because there's all different kinds of ways you could go with The Punisher. Sure. But it turned out that he and I had pretty much the exact same idea of where to, uh, which way to go with The Punisher. So he was on board. That's great. And so once he was on board, that made it a lot easier to sell the book because... He was so hot from Secret Wars, you know, so like, yeah. The Mar Well, the Marvel politics of the time, mm. where the Marvel politics were very interesting. Mm. Uh, at the time, the the edict had come down from Jim Shooter that since no one else in comics presented any real competition to Marvel, the editors had to be competition with each other. So the uh, mandate was for each editor to form their own stable of writers and artists so oh. that they could, you know, have a basically go to war with each other. Like a Spider-Man uh, editorial team and an X-Man, et cetera, that kind of like, do you mean like that? Right. Yeah. 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 You know, and just see who could, do the best do the best comics and get you know and I I don't know if there are any bonuses uh, gotcha connected with it or anything like that mm. but but that was sort of you know I don't know how seriously anyone took this but this <laughs> yeah. is coming out from Jim that you you should have your own stable right of people that you can you know that you're they work exclusively for you where was Punisher was he his own stable I guess no he well uh, he wasn't any place no no still nobody wanted to do the Punisher yeah but. With Mike on it, suddenly, see, Mike coming off Secret Wars, everybody wanted Mike in their stable. Mm. And uh, so I pitched Carl Potts on it, mm -hmm. and um, Carl, 
basically said, yeah, okay, let's do it. Because Carl himself was fairly new there. He was trying to make his mark, and he didn't have any problem with the Punisher. Mm -hmm. So then he took it to Jim Shooter and to pitch. And uh, from what I understand, Jim's response was, well, if you really want to, but it's on your head. <laughs> and... <laughs> And uh, so then we went ahead and started doing the miniseries and, you know. And it took off. I mean, it's it's fantastic. So um, you've answered my question but about... It, I was, it, took, it took 10 years from the time I came up with it to the time it got off the ground. Yeah, and considering it had been in your head, living in your head that long, when it came to working with Mike Zek to actually do it, were you writing full script for Circle of Blood? No, no, no. I was write, just writing plot. Got you, yeah. Because I got to say, his visuals and those covers—I mean, they—that—that's. It's just such a great sell. Um, it, it's uh, amazing. Personally, personally, I think the cover to the Punisher miniseries number three is the single best cover ever done in comics. Yeah, no, because I, if you want your comic to sell, they, I mean, the idea of a cover is to let everybody know what they're going to get in the inside. This doesn't necessarily mean you have to have something a visual from the story on the inside. But you look at that cover. Yeah. That's the one where he's got the the um, target behind him. Yep. It's, it's bleeding. And he's sitting there with a gun like this. And you look at that cover, you know exactly what you're going to get. It doesn't matter what's on the inside. You you know exactly what you're getting. So. I totally uh, agree. I remember going down to my comic store for probably first time in the store. Uh, this is like mid eighties and it had come out in the graphic novel format. And I just remember looking at it going, I, I didn't, and I didn't know any of the characters and I, I need this. You know what I mean? Like the cover right. sold You're me right. Right. and it was just amazing to me. Uh, I loved how obsessed Frank was with Kingpin. And I, I still remember as a kid reading the bit where it looks like Kingpin's dead. And I thought for him, I was a fresh faced kid, new to comics. I thought he got him. <laughs> and then it's, he, yeah. He should have. Uh, ideally, he would have. I, I never really understood the obsession with the Kingpin. But, um, but yeah, I mean, if I'd been able to, I would have killed off the Kingpin in that because that's ultimately who the Punisher should kill. Yeah, that, that was his big uh, target. Like, um, now I believe you're the guy, if I'm right, who gave Frank Castle his actual name. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. So that was 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 it important for you to kind of give him uh, sort of giving him a bit of an identity outside of just the the Punisher. You know what I mean? You gave him a little bit of well, backstory. It was less that than the story logic. Actually, mm. he sh actually, in my point of view, he has no identity outside of the, the Punisher. So yeah, it's uh, it's it it was kind of a a bluff. But just from story logic, he's gone to prison. Mm. He's been in the military. Yes. They have identified him. They know what his name is. Yes. So they would refer, and I don't see them referring to him as the Punisher. They would refer to him by his name. Now, later on, I developed this in the graphic novel that Mike and I did. Um, Return, uh, Return, to uh, Return to Big Nothing, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, but my idea for the Punisher was that he doesn't consider himself to be Frank Castle. That he, you know, yeah. if you want to call him Frank Castle, that's your business. He doesn't care. Because my, my core concept of the Punisher is he's a guy who feels no compulsion to explain himself to anybody. Mm. Yeah. So basically, like what you're saying, and I see it in the stories because I reread them all before this. Basically, for, for you, you're thinking Frank Castle died in the park with his wife yeah. and kids and Frank then Castle, out of that came the Frank punisher Frank Castle died with his family i'm the punisher 
Makes sense. I mean, so I love that end scene um, at the end of the story where you've got the scene with the car hanging over the bridge and that feeling, oh, yeah. you know, the feeling of things being balanced on a knife edge. It, it's a really kind of eerie, almost it's cinematic how it ends. And it always blew me away as a kid. And was that important for you to kind of give like at the very end of the storyline, it's still like will it, won't it kind of thing. Like it's 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 almost yeah. unresolved, you know? Well, I mean, this. One of the things that I wanted to establish in the story is that he's not a hero. No. You know, he's not a guy who's going to risk his life just for anybody. Mm -hmm. He's, you know, it's like, which, this is something that always got on in Marvel's craw, because they tried reversing this as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. But um, that's the point at the end of that story, is that is someone's going to die if he doesn't uh, save them and he but he's going to die if he does mm. you know he's going to bleed out if he if he doesn't get to help soon yeah right and, so because uh, that's the point of that is he's slowly bleeding out he doesn't have a lot of energy or time to spare yeah and, and he just like turns a blind eye to it and goes on you know that was the point of that uh, that was a lot of the point of the character it's interesting uh, um I notice it's really interesting. It's it's more than a little. It's very interesting. Now I noticed in issue five, um, you provide a plot, and Joe Duffy, who's a lovely woman and a great writer right. herself, did the script. And I believe my exec is off pencils. Um, was there a story behind that? Because also I noticed it I says just, issue four of four, and then well, it's five. I'll give, you the, I'll give you the short version of it because again, sure. I don't want to like start reopening old wounds or anything. But oh, sure. the short version is that that. Um, when we started doing it, we had an open date to do it. They did, they were not supposed to schedule till we had three issues done. That was the deal we made. Right. However, however, something dropped out of the schedule, and marketing went around to the offices and said, "What have you got that we can put into this slot?" Yep. And they found the first issue of the Punisher, which was done. They said, "Okay, we're running this." So suddenly, we went from like. In indefinite period of time ahead to six weeks behind because suddenly everything else was on that same schedule. Gotcha. And you'll see where you'll see where they told us this in issue two, where the the uh, line work suddenly gets a lot simpler. Mm. Right. Because Mike had to pick up the pace drawing it. Wow. And uh, God, so it was really the pressure was on because of the yeah. the marketing thing, right? Yeah, okay. Basic, basically, Mike just couldn't keep up with the schedule, and I didn't want to do it without Mike. Understood. But, Understood. but I had already written the plot at that point because originally what we were going to do with that, and that's another funny story about the thing that people keep bringing up is it's if you read the strips on the top, they'll say things like, uh, you know, number two and a yes. waffle between how many issues are in the miniseries. <laughs> that's because this was a new going beyond a four issue miniseries was a new concept for Marvel. Originally, it was going to be a double-sized issue in the first one, a double-sized issue in the last one. I see. And they said, at some point they came back and said, no, the four, if the last one has to be split into two stories. So I split it into so two So it became stories. five. Then it, be then it became a five miniseries, but... But a production, this was apparently an alien concept to uh, production, so they kept changing it back and forth. And Mike and I actually had a bet going that the fifth issue would read uh, number five in a four-issue miniseries. But that would have been gold. They, they managed to correct that before it got out of the house. D Doug, Douglas Adams did that joke with his Hitchhiker Guide to the Galaxy stuff. He says, you know, number five in, a hit in, the, in the trilogy and stuff like that. Like he sort of made right, a joke right, of it. Right. Yeah. Um, 
Now, uh, I always wondered when Circle of Blood came out, and I remember the heat on The Punisher at the time, like at school in the comic shop. Uh, were you lobbying for more Punisher work on the solo series that came out, or did you feel that you told the definitive Punisher tale and the monthly book, which obviously Mike Barron did, wasn't a big draw, or were you contesting for that at the time? Well, I mean, I never, neither Mike nor I ever thought it should be a regular series. Mm. Really? I mean, it should have been a series of miniseries just that was published when there was a really good story for it. Gotcha. Right. You know, and so, that, yeah. that would have been our ideal format. I didn't really have any interest in writing him monthly because, like I say, that was the story I wanted to do. Yeah. And I kind of, at that point, said everything about the Punisher that I wanted to say. No, I, I uh, hear you, man. I hear you. So... I, I, yeah, I'm glad to hear you say that because I always wondered that because I, I was always like, you hit you hit like a grand slam on your first at bat with the Punisher. And I was always like, I'm surprised they didn't give you the, the, the ongoing. But as it turns out, maybe it wasn't something you were actually actively, you know. No, I wasn't that for. eager to do it. I mean, I the money would have been nice, but uh, sure. outside of that. Uh, in, in terms of, now I don't mean to sound like your accountant, but um, in terms of Circle, of, okay. Circle of Blood, I mean, it's it's been republished. I, I own like probably three versions of Circle of Blood. Do you, you get royalties from that all still? Like, oh, yeah. Oh, oh, that's yeah. good. Yeah. Oh, well, thank God, because... I think I get royalties from it. Uh, these yeah. days I get everything electronically deposited and yeah. they never tell me what it's for. So uh, every once in a while money will show up in my bank account, but... I, I have no idea what it's for anymore. So. Yeah, well, uh, I'm glad you you have that book though that is constantly kind of in print because it is such a classic. And I know they put it in the recent sort of epic collection, and I've got the hardcover, and I mean, it's great. Now, um, when Circle of Blood came out, in terms of your career, I'm imagining was it a before and after moment? Like, did you have the opportunity to write your own ticket for a couple of years on that because it was so hot? Not really. Really. <laughs> Not really. No, everything was always uphill battle. Really? Okay. For whatever reason. For whatever reason. Um, yeah. It served me well in the long run, but immediate, but the immediate effects it really was it didn't have. Wow, that's interesting. So, um, I know Carl Potts, um, who I'd love to get on the show. I'm a big Carl Potts fan. Um, he did a really nice forward on my edition of Circle of Blood. How was it to work with Carl as an editor? Was he, you know, did he have much editorial oversight on your stuff? Uh, Carl was overall pretty uh you know was overall very just let me do what i wanted to do i can't say i had any major problem with carl in terms of the stories or anything yeah he, he kind of got out of your way because i mean he later went on and did some incredible punisher on war journal yeah. um yeah interesting well, so I think he, to be honest i have i don't read other people's punisher books so. no 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 i i is it kind of like one of those things like they say sometimes like um, if you've worked on a character, it's almost like an ex-girlfriend. You know what I mean? Like yeah, you know, dates on the character. But in this case, I just don't really have. I have a. The thing is that I have a particular idea of what the Punisher should be that nobody else shares. You know. Okay. So in that regard, so you know, I mean, I don't, just don't see any point in reading other people's stuff because I'm not going to enjoy it whether it's good or not. So it's yeah. got nothing to do with whether it's good or not. It's just it's your I know personal what I vision, want to see and that's not going to be it. So. I hear you. So. Um, I've got a couple more Punisher things. Now, return to Big Nothing. Um, now, this is fantastic. You re-team with Mike Zek. I'm imagining right. it was a few years after Circle of Blood. I mean, I love Return to Big Nothing. Did you guys feel a bit of pressure following up on such an acclaimed book at the time? Not really, no. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was uh, well, it was three years later. Yeah. So the bloom was a little off the rose. And, uh, but it was uh, Archie Goodwin approached us and said, you want to do an epic book? 
Yeah. You know, you don't have to deal with Marvel at all on it. You can do an epic book and do whatever you want with it. And so we said, yeah, sure. Ideally, we would have done a third one, but they wouldn't. They didn't want it at the time. So oh, my, the, the a, third one we would have done would have been the death of the Punisher. And they didn't think that was a good marketing movie. Yeah, they don't want to do yeah. that, uh, Stephen. That's the one they don't want to do. You know, but later on, they they did it like three or four times. Yes. But, that's uh, true. At that point, they didn't want to do it. But um which I, you know, I mean, I don't hold that against them. It makes perfect sense. But um, our, yeah, Archie came to us and we had a meeting in Chicago uh, at a convention in Chicago that we all sat around and, you know, drank a lot and yeah. uh, chatted it, chatted about it. And then Mike and I just basically went off and did it. So It's a great one. Like one of my favorite scenes is where Frank goes to the brothel, he picks up the prostitute and then you have the dream scene with Maria in bed. Like it's such a tender scene in such a hard action book, you know? Um, yeah. I, I, I dug that. Now, also, you have Frank leave the Brom prostitute $2,000 in the briefcase. Now, in such a dark book and a pretty dark portrayal of Frank Castle, there's still a tiny piece of him that has a little bit of heart. I, I really liked that. Like, was that conscious? Like, you make him about oh, as yeah. dark as possible, but he has a little, little sliver of well, humanity just- left. How can I phrase this? He's not a complete prick. He's he's not he he views he he does have a something of a soft spot for the innocent. Yes. Uh, if, to you yeah, to use a term I hate, but you know that he, he had you know it's it's he's not just against everybody who breaks the law. I mean, yeah. it, it, he has you know it's basically mobsters or similar. The, you know, organized crime is what is his main thing. We so, yeah. You know, uh, it's, you know, so a situation like that, he's going to understand that she's pre- probably pretty much as much a victim. If if she's yeah. a victim at all, she's as much a victim as anybody else. She's yeah. not leading an easy life. No, exactly. You know? so and and I he, yeah, he I, understands that about other people. Yeah, I agree. So. Now, now I know. He, oh look, I mean, we, we all know, everyone knows, Punish is a hot topic and a lot of conversation about whether soldiers should be allowed to display a Punisher logo or cops. Now, I'm not here to litigate that old chestnut, um, but keeping that little bit of humanity, I think for readers back in the 80s and 90s, even in such a dark book, was a hook. Now, I know you didn't continue reading, but they definitely did keep that in the 80s and 90s, like... And I, and, I, and I think they, you know, because you wrote a pretty hardline Punisher. Every single one of your Punisher stories, he's a pretty bleak Punisher. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Well, he's dead. He's emotionally dead inside. That's my concept wow. of him is he yeah. is emotionally dead. I love it. And this is kind of the, the way that Mike and I played off each other is that Mike has very hot visuals and I have very cool dialogue for him. You know, I mean, the... the the text is very cool. His ob- he's, his the captions are him doing his observations all the time, reassessing things constantly. Because yeah. I mean, I view him as a as a uh, his superpower is is he's, he's to speak of is he's a uh, a uh, strategic master of strategy. Yeah, you know, he's he's always shifting his strategy to fit whatever the momentary circumstances are. Yeah, definitely. Um, I love it. Now, uh, just to wrap up Punisher, I, I looked at Pariah, which I love, um, which you did in the, I, I want to say. Uh, oh, 
Yeah, you know, prior, right. I think you did oh, it yeah. in... Right. Yeah, I mean, it, it took me a second. Right, when I went back in, in the uh, 90s, right? Yes. Now, um, this is Frank Castle. He's really on the run, and you put him up against Captain America. Um, to throw Frank up against somebody, you'd feel it's in his DNA to admire as a vet and a fellow American, and, and Captain America says, your tour is over now, it's time to come in. That was a good one. Was that a lot of fun to come back in the monthly comic and, and do that story? It, it had its moments. It had its moments. I mean, I the thing, another thing that Mike and I always believed is that the Punisher should not be interacting with the Marvel Universe. So right. it took a little bit of adjustment to uh, to do that. But I mean, I I thought, yeah, I'm. I think Don, the editor Don Daly, asked me to use Captain America in the story, and I went, oh, okay, I'll use Captain America. <laughs> and yeah. uh, great visuals from uh, you had Hugh Haynes on art. He does a good job, yeah. you know, damn good job. Yeah. Um, and uh, I liked Hugh's work on the book, especially there's one old splash. Was it Hugh that did this? There's a splash page on one of them in that run where it's helicopters over the East River or something. And yes. the reflection of them on the river formed the uh, the Punisher logo. Oh, really? And, cool. And I spelled this out in in uh, the, <laughs> the plot and... Um, in the script, and, and Don said, you know, they're never going to be able to draw this. And I said, just give him a chance, just give him a chance. And it came out beautifully. But, uh, but with the Captain America thing, I thought about it, and I thought, you know, if he goes up against Captain America, Captain America's going to kick his ass. So, you know, I just yeah. had a story where Captain America kicks his ass, and it was a, <laughs> turned into a very fun story to write. Definitely, yeah. definitely. Um, but but I, I'll tell you, I never bought into the thing about him having any admiration for Captain America because I right. don't think it would even occur to him. Right. Oh, okay. So you're coming from because they really they've boiled that into the character since. But yeah, you you've got a different opinion. I just felt as a fellow veteran, like he's a Vietnam vet, you know, um, and all that. I don't like, think it would matter to him because that's Frank Castle. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. He's yeah. not the Punisher. It's Frank Castle. So he does not respond. He's emotionally dead and does not respond to things like that. I love it, man. Yeah, that's 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 pretty cool and. I, reading your stuff, I, I, I get that impression. He's pretty dead. Like he's about as dead as it gets and yeah. still walking. Um, well, look, we'll move on from Punisher, but I do want to say thank you so much, um, Stephen, for your work on the, on the Punisher because oh, I, I think it's, a, I think it's it was, amazing. You know? yeah, it's been, it was one of the great joys of my career. Yeah, yeah. Now, I, I um, went and looked at uh, now X with Dark Horse. Now, I've got the Dark Horse omnibuses of X. I'm struck. By, look, it's, I'm a huge fan of this series. He's so easily, I mean, he's pretty much almost a villain. Uh, he relishes. Oh, yeah, no, he, I, yeah. I, well, he was kind of, I was coming off, uh, you know, I was still coming off the Punisher at the time. And I actually pitched them a series at the time that called Patriot X, mm -hmm. which was a, I had had written it up as a revamp of America Mando for DC and they rejected it. And it was, again, it was another story I wanted to do. So I pitched it to Dark Horse as mm. Patriot X. And they came back and said, oh, you know, we got a problem here. We're, uh, <laughs> we, we got a character we're developing called X. So, uh, you know, <laughs> do you think you could change the name? And I, so I changed it to, to a book called Enemy that came out a little while later. Right. And they said, but, but, you know, we really think you'd be good for writing X. So do you want to write that? And so they sent me the stuff they had on X. And I just basically ran roughshod over the concept and turned him into that because they they were actually looking for a much more batman sort of character you know whereas this guy's you know, he's more dark this guy's like punisher times a thousand 
Like oh yeah, yeah no, that's pretty much the way I was going. He is the he is both the hero and the villain of the series because he he considers the city he's living in as his property. It's awesome. Like now, how was it um, received at the time? Was it tough swimming against the tide of Marvel and DC? When you're working with Dark Horse, like did you did 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 it sell well? Is basically what I'm trying to say. Because you had Doug uh, Mankey yeah, on. Yeah, initially it sold very well. Yeah, no, it was it was a big hit for them. The first Excellent. first seven eight issues uh, where it did very well, and then they raised the price and the sales started falling off. And uh, I had a fun conversation with that about it. With you, them you, about that. Yeah, they got a bit greedy. They you had Doug Mankey, um, who I love, and I wasn't aware that he was working on this. And I mean, his yeah. art is fantastic on the on the book. You know. Yeah, like, no, he's terrific. Yeah, he's Rick, ri- originally it was going to be Rick Leonardi, and he, then he had to drop out for some reason. Then we put Doug on the book, and Doug turned out to be terrific on it. Yeah, yeah. Now it's such a like again, listeners. If you haven't uh, checked this out, X, you can get the Dark Horse omnibuses. I've got both of them, and they're fantastic. I, I'm like halfway through them, and I'm like, man, this is great stuff. Um, it must have been fun too because. The way I'm looking at it, you, if you work at Marvel and DC, especially around this time, there's a lot of, well, even now, there's a lot of constrictions of what you can do with characters. Whereas I felt with this book, you're just doing, it, it seems so unfiltered, like it's really raw, um, you know, a dark well, horse, you know. Pretty much what I was going for at the time. I mean, I wasn't going out of my way to make it like ultra violent or anything, but in terms of the character, I just wanted to play out this kind of character, a guy who was, Doing, doing heroic things all for his own, you know, he, uh, you could look at them and say they're heroic, but he was doing them all for his own reasons. And mm. and he's kind of nuts own. as well, isn't he? He's kind of nuts. Like it seems he's like. a little, yeah, he's he's a little <laughs> off his rocker. <laughs> I love it. Um, so now, uh, a book that I got recommended and we did on the show uh, last week was Badlands. Now, ah. oh my God, we, this blew me away. It's a, a really gritty tale set in the dark bell underbelly of Kennedy's America. Can I can I give you the one line pitch that I sold it on? Go for it. I, the the original publisher, Bill Marks, I met at another at a retailers convention. I, uh, the one time I went back to Madison, Wisconsin, because they were holding a retailers convention there, and uh, I was behind him in line at the bar, and he had just published. Howard Chaikin's Black Kiss, and Howard and I are good friends. Mm-hmm. And so Bill turned to me and said, you know, I want to follow up Black Kiss with something. What have you got for him? And I had nothing, <laughs> absolutely nothing. And so I sat there for around three seconds and said, how about a crime story set in 1963 and starring the man who really killed John Kennedy? And Bill just went nuts because it turned out, and I had no idea, it turned out he was like this huge Kennedy assassination conspiracy man. Right. And uh, so, I mean, I sold it on that and I had no idea what to do with it. And uh, sat down, wrote the first scene, uh, wrote the last scene in the book first, Mm -hmm. and then went back and started writing it and just pretty much wrote it straight through. So it was the fastest thing I think I've ever written. And uh, uh, it's... Still, arguably my favorite work. Oh, it's yeah, because I was going to say I think it's uh, amazing. Like uh, it's um, was it important to get uh, the black and white visuals a uh, very stark? Um, was it important for you for it to be a black and white book? Ah, uh, I could have gone either way. I mean, mm. it didn't really, you know, mm. it, it worked well in black and white. It sure did. Like it, and it is such a um. So the, first, the first issue from um. 
Vortex, which was Bill's company, was actually in color. There's a color issue with the first. Oh, really? First oh, and there the, are uh, wow. three. Uh, well, actually, I've got the. There's there's two covers here from. Uh, let me see if I can show you. Is this on it? Yeah, I, yeah, there, there. I can see, yeah. oh, I'm going the wrong direction here. You're seeing the huge <laughs> mess in my room. There we are. Right. Those two covers on the bottom there are Howard's covers for issues two and three from... Uh, wow, they're beautiful. I, I can't figure out how to straighten the camera. No, I can so, see. Uh, I can see, yeah. yeah. So but, uh, what year was that? What, when did you do this? Was this early 90s? Uh, or? 91, I started doing it. Oh, okay, right. And um, so because I read it as a collection and it did come out monthly. Um, it wasn't just like a graphic novel, am I right? It was like a monthly... Yeah, thing. no, it came out, came out as a six-issue miniseries from Dark because... Uh, Bill then ran into financial problems and had to uh, shut things down. So I, then I took it to Dark Horse and Mike just leaped on it. And that was when I started working for Dark Horse. Has it ever been like option for like movie or TV or anything? Has anyone shown interest? It's been talked about. I mean, we were talking about it back then. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's been optioned several times. It's, you know, it's, it hasn't been done yet. But I, I um, think there's potential like um, because... I love that time period, and like I read a lot of the James Elroy books, which deal with sort of similar right. topics, like American tabloid and stuff. And, um, yeah, and James, I, yeah, James Elroy's style was probably this is before he started doing the American tabloid stuff. Yeah, but, uh, that was probably a big influence on me for that book because I had I had started, uh, um, like white jazz and that kind of stuff. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. yeah you know, uh, the big nowhere and things yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. Pa Powerful books, but no, it's a really good book. Um, I, I guess for me, I'm always like, now I want to get your take on this because well, I've got you on the show. Like, do you believe in the fact that like the mob killed him? Like, you know, basically. I, I think everybody killed him. You yeah. know, James Elroy himself had once asked me this question, and I said, I think everybody did. Um, you know, I, I think it. Oh, I have no idea. Um, if I, if you look at the evidence, there is evidence of various different factions um, possibly involved. Yeah, and it wouldn't strike me very far out of the realm of reality if they were working together. Yeah. Now the big argument against this is that if you have that many people involved in conspiracy, mm. there someone is going to reveal it, and this is the big argument that's always been against that. But if you go into pretty much any bookstore. You can find shelves and shelves of Kennedy assassination conspiracy books, mm. confessions from people, whatever, you know, the whole thing. And this is a uh, technique, the CIA technique called the cutout, mm -hmm. which is if you can't keep information from coming out, flood the market with so much information that no one knows what's true and what isn't. I, so well, I, I've said that on that, the, you can look at it that way too. I have said that on the show so many times regarding, uh, look, I'm going to get off tangent here, but like about aliens as well. I think they put out a lot of alien stuff in fiction, which potentially could be real, you know, like, uh, like alien contact, but the same sort of stuff with this conspiracy stuff. Like, cause don't they say that the, I forget, I, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Sam Jim Connor or something. The mob guy. Sam Jim Connor, yeah. yeah. Who slept with Marilyn, who also slept with Bobby Kennedy and John Kennedy. And right. you know, there's like, she was well, telling was Judith, secrets. It was of more school. Judith, what's her name? Who was a mistress of Kennedy's at the same time. She was a mistress for Jim Connor, but I forget her last name, Judith something. Or right. 
And well, but what I'm saying is talking out of school kind of thing. And so like and Bobby Kennedy had a big thing against the mob, didn't he? Like wasn't his big thing against the mob? Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was one of his big crusades was against the mob. Yeah, so uh, it doesn't seem that uh, you know to, to pay somebody to to off him. It doesn't seem like that crazy. Like someone had to do. Otherwise, it's just a random guy who just again like a crazy like you get today. You, you do get crazies today. It, maybe it was just a could have just been one crazy guy. But like, I'm not an expert to know if he could take that shot. Was he an expert marksman? I don't know. You know. Well, uh, I mean, I've been in the book depository mm. and uh my my brother-in-law actually said you know they had it they had the window blocked off so you could you could see the room he was in but you couldn't get to the window to look out mm. my brother-in-law who lives in dallas uh said um said the reason they blocked it off is that anyone looking out that window can realize that shot can't be made yeah, <laughs> yeah. well th th that's it like i mean unless you're like a trained sniper and i don't know if he was um, like some of the snipers and stuff you, that you get, like in like American Sniper or something. I mean, they can take incredible shots. But a guy in '63, if he didn't have the training, like how's he going to take a shot at the president? Like, well, I mean, I know a little bit about sniping, and taking incredible shots requires a lot of setup and a lot of timing and a lot of precision. And yeah, it, normally you have to, uh, you know, you have to get a, a target that stands still for a certain period of time. And, whereas uh, his car's moving, isn't it? Like, yeah. yeah. But, but you know, on the other hand, it's still well within the realm of possibility that he was the only guy. So I can't yeah. say any, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not even no, I get you. going to major a guess on that thing. But, but I can easily put together in my head a, a connection of conspiracies. I mean, a lot of it could have, I mean... A lot of it traced, particularly the oil company ver elements of it, traced through to the um, World Anti-Communist League, which is worth reading about, mm. and uh, which was a big organization at the time and has since developed into other things. And uh, and uh, you know, and they they were, of course, and there was the whole thing about the Bay of Pigs, and yeah, there were yeah. there were a lot of people who had a lot of things uh, out for Kennedy, and uh, yeah, and there were a lot of collisions between all those worlds. So you know, it's like I say, everybody killed him. Well, that's so. true, and and just before we leave it, I agree that Bay of Pigs thing and like the the sort of like uh, the Cubans who'd been like exiled and you know burnt um, by Kennedy and the failure there. You know, but they weren't burned by Kennedy. You know why the Bay of Pigs failed? I don't know. They, they, they revealed this. This is why the Bay of Pigs failed. Is mm. that when the CIA was setting it up, nobody realized that the coast of Honduras or wherever it was that they were based for the invasion after the first. It was that there's an hour time difference between them because it's a different time zone. Nobody figured this out. So wow. they were supposed to leave at the time that they invaded, that the the initial forces invaded Cuba. Mm-hmm. To cover the air cover was supposed to go, was supposed to go on them, but they didn't go for an hour later. Right, so they didn't provide you know, the cover. So that's yeah. why that's why it failed because they the guys who went in and by the time they got there there was no ground cover. Yeah. Kennedy had told them all along, you know, if this fails, you are not getting any help. Yeah. You know, he had yeah. made it very clear that the United States was not going to go to war against Cuba. Yeah. 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 You know, and so 
it was never a case of Kennedy betraying anyone because he made his position very clear. Mm. But then when they screwed up, they said, oh, now you've got to bail us out. And he said, no, I told you, I can't do that. Because yeah, it, was too risky. it would be war against Cuba, which would likely turn into war against Russia, which, of course, a lot of his generals wanted. Yeah, yeah. Know. But it could have but, been very bad for the world. Uh, it wouldn't have worked out well. Yeah, no. j- just um, on the topic of Cuba, uh, we had a, like the news thing with Fidel Castro. There's a movie coming out. Are you surprised? Because I said this, to, I said this to my co-host. I'm surprised the US didn't put a bullet in Castro, like in the 60s or 70s. Like, how did they? Like not like they didn't try. Well, that's what I said. They tried, but like, did this guy just have incredible security? Like, I don't understand how he got away with it for so long. Uh, well, I mean, a lot. Well, first of all, he's in his own country, and mm. it's that's a pretty that was a pretty secure place because it was basically a police state. Yeah. So, you know, it's a lot harder to operate in a police state than it is in, say, a democracy. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, so it's it's difficult to get to them. And they kept coming up with these wacky plans to get to him, like poisoning his cigars and things like that. And, it's pretty hilarious, you know. And, and, and he you know, actually ended up dying of old age, didn't he? So, I mean, he did succeed. Yeah, and, you he know, died his, of old age, yeah. Which you wouldn't have bet. Like... Anyway, thank you for indulging me with that Kennedy stuff oh, because no I love that stuff. But it's a great book, and I love the ending where they pick, like, sort of like the prototype hippies pick him up. Um, well, that's that's actually the magic boss of, of Grateful Dead legend. Oh, really? Because I love the dead. Point, yeah. At that point in time, they're traveling across the southern United States to go to uh, to stop at Larry McMurtry's house on their way to see um, Timothy Leary in Massachusetts. Is Jerry so is Jerry on up. the bus? Like is Jerry on the bus? Like is, if I look at the pages, is Jerry? Well, I there? don't know if Jerry was on there, but but the line that they use at the end is actually a quote from I think Ken Babs, which is "Get them in your in your movie before they get you in theirs." <laughs> I love it. I, yeah, I love the dead, and, and it's a great ending. And am I right in saying that um, you did envision doing more? In the in the storyline, um, yes and no, no, not directly with that storyline. I would have liked to have done a series of stories set in consecutive years, dealing with whatever the weirdness was to do with America in the in that year, but that never came together. Okay, so cool. like 1964 would have had to do with the uh, space program and uh, civil rights protests. All oh, right, I get it. so it's sort of Mel- topical. Melting in Alabama at the time. Well, that would be interesting. Um, well, yeah, so check it out, people, Badlands. Now, I, I did a little bit of research for the show, and I came across a couple of gems from the 90s, a, a book called Fate, which um, right. is a super strong comic with great artwork. Uh, it's a reboot and a really radical reimagining, I think, of Dr. Fate. Um, right. Right. Now, you weren't on it for long, but it, it, it's, it's fantastic with great art. Was this well, kind of like, that you was, know? John Francis Moore came up with that one. And I, I mean, I thought it was a good, I initially when I saw it, I thought, mm, but then when I read it, I thought, yeah, this is a pretty good concept. And then, uh, and then uh, they needed somebody to write it. And I actually didn't want, and Archie asked me to write it. And I didn't really want to write it, but um, I suggested Len Kaminsky, mm-hmm. to do it, who was writing Iron Man for Marvel at the time and various mm-hmm. other books. And Len was eager to do it, but he couldn't do it for six months. He was booked up for six months. So I said to Archie, okay, I'll write it for six months, and then, you know, we'll hand it over to Len. Because I was basically placeholding it for Len. And I wish I hadn't made that deal, because by the time I got done writing the six <laughs> issues, I thought, I'm having tons of fun with this this book. This is great. It's a really and, fun uh, book. It's, it, it's And I, I'd yeah. still like to write the character again. I mean, once in a while, I think of maybe 
pitching DC on it, but I know they'd never go for it. So, uh, but it's but, a good one. Like it's one of those ones where I think time kind of forgot it, but I, I dug it back out again, and I think it's on DC Infinite, and it's it's well worth a, a look. Now another yeah, book. It was it was one of those books that did nothing at the time in terms yeah. of sales. So yeah. it's but but it's, yeah, it was a, you know a magic character whose superpower is basically being immune to magic. So and it must be like in, the thing with comics that I kind of like is you do throw stuff at the wall. So when they're doing reimaginings, and I think this was that out of like a zero hour or some event, and then they you get the opportunity to to have these new concepts and some of them stick and some of them don't, but it's kind of part of the beauty of comics. I think that you yeah. have that freedom, yeah. you know, um, another one. And this is a, this was a crazy one. It's a book called Manhunter, which I, um, my friend uh, spoke to me about. And I, it's like an impressionistic take on like an image style hero at DC. Like, can you take us through this one? Cause it's, well, did, I, know, I never really intended the image thing that came out more in the artwork, but uh, right. But uh, I came up, you know, I was just pitching revamps of things, and I came up with a revamp for uh, for Manhunter and pitched it to Archie, who was had just become an editor there. Yes, I, you know, of course, I knew Archie, so he he um, that made it easy to pitch to him. So uh, so, but he said um, we can't do this concept, which whatever the con, I don't even remember what the original concept was, but I really want you to come up with a new concept for Manhunter because people keep coming up to me and saying, you know, Archie, I love your Manhunter stuff. I really want to do something with that character. And he didn't want anybody to do anything with that character. So he wanted the name locked up. Because he so, did the original, like, great Manhunter back in, like, I want to say 70s, yeah? Yeah, like, mid-70s with, with Walt Simonson. Mm, it was fantastic. Mm, mm. And... Um, yeah, no, that was that was a huge thing when it came out. That was great. Mm. And so I pasted the, you know, I kind of worked this out, took it to him. He said, okay, let's do it. And so we did it. And But, I mean, it was basically always off in its, its own little uh, yeah. universe there where it didn't really have much to do with the DC universe at all, which was great. And so I just got to play with weird concepts and things. So I had a lot of fun with that. And how did it, at the time, like, was there a reaction? Because it's, it's right out there. It's right oh, out no, there. Oh, no, there was no reaction at all. I mean, nobody really? read the book. Oh, okay. It's like, <laughs> it, well, I mean, it, it was a period coming out in the 90s when comics were just starting to fall off. Gotcha. You know, the, the, the market was just starting to fall out of the thing. It was coming, it was, DC had, was putting out a, a uh, big event called Zero Hour, and they were so so. All these books were linked to that and spinning out off that, and I don't think that did all that well. And people were already starting to get tired of having the big events with all these new because this is a like a backlash like, kind of thing by that point. And so, pretty much none of the books that that spun out of Zero Hour got any traction at all. People just didn't pay any attention to them at all, and. Uh, I mean, I can't think of one that came out. There were like six books that came out. I can't think of one I that think, lasted. I think the only one, based on my knowledge, was Starman. I think that might be the Starman, only one. Starman, right, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you're right, I and think. That was, yeah. that was its own special beast. So. Yeah, that was, yeah. But interesting. And, and like, I mean, God bless you for taking a chance, though, because the artist you went with, he really went heavy in kind of oh, like. Vince, Vince Gerano, who was my artist on Badlands. Yeah. Oh, same guy. I did not yeah. realize that. Wow. And and I wouldn't have picked that. He swapped up his style mainly because people were saying, you know, if you want to get any work, you got to draw like like Rob Liefeld. And yeah. uh, and he went definitely. I don't in that think Archie said that, but he'd heard that from enough people at that point that he he worked on it. So how was Archie Goodwin to work with? Uh, I hear oh, Archie that. was great to work with. Archie was, you know, yeah. 
pitched him. I mean, if he had a problem with your stuff, he'd tell you and he'd made it, and he'd usually come up with a good way to solve it. Yeah. But, uh, but I basically, my, the way I worked with most editors, and again, this is going to sound like bragging, but it's just the way it was, is, is um, well, I started working at DC with a guy named Jonathan Peterson, who was editing um, Deathstroke and Teen Titans at the time. And Marv was, uh, he asked me if I'd write like half a dozen issues of uh, Deathstroke because Marv was taking six months off mm -hmm. from writing it. So, so I said, sure. And then, so... Um, he told me that at one point Dick Giordano come, comes in and he says, so how's it working with this Grant guy? <laughs> and uh, he says, well, let me put it this way. Dick, the scripts come in, the scripts go out. <laughs> and that's pretty much the way I have worked yeah. in general with, with editors is, you know, I don't get a lot of feedback on my stuff, which perhaps I should. But, uh, but I, you know, I mean, I just have kind of my own little angle. And, yeah, and it works. You know, no, well, I mean, yeah, I, I think it comes through. You have a very strong voice in your in your writing. Like, it, it, it really, it, it does come through. See, um, I, I don't see it at all. No? <laughs> well, I, I can say, when I was reading Badlands, I was like, man, th this is, uh, I was thinking, this is about as good as it gets. Like, it was, I was like, this. it, it was similar to, like, your Punisher. Like, there, there is, it's hard to put a finger on it, but there is a tone, which I respond to. Now, I did want to, my my co-host Rich, who couldn't be here today because he's working, but he's a big, big, big Green Lantern fan, and I realised that you'd worked um, quite closely with Gil Kane, the famous yeah. Green Lantern creator. Like, and you did Edge, and my mate sent me some copies of Edge, which was which was fun. Like, what was your relationship with Gil Kane like? Um, um well, you know, Gil was great. What can I say? Um, I was very trepidatious. So there was a point when I was living in Los Angeles where I was living a uh, half a block away from Gil. Mm -hmm. And I always had the urge to go up and introduce myself. But I was like just always too embarrassed to. It's like, you know, uh, he's going to if I go up there and I'm like, oh, God, you're my favorite artist of all time. Because he was my favorite artist of all time. Mm. I mean, I my first favorite book was Greenland, which I started reading with like issue nine in the Silver Age. Yeah. And uh, and I collected Gil Kane. I mean, there's one guy I collected. It was Gil Kane. And I anything Gil did, I I got. And uh, and so uh, eventually we were, you know, they, the Riviera was started up at, at um, Malibu. Right. And. Uh, Turned out at that point, Gil and I both had the same lawyer who was putting together the Bravura package. Right. And uh, he said, "You, you know, you wanted to create a book with Gil Kane." And I said, "Oh my God, do I want to create a book with Gil?" Yeah. Kane? So of then course. we created Edge, and then we, then we went on to do a handful of other things, and we were trying, you know. But again, we would have done more if it had been a different era, because again, this is when comics were in complete collapse and no one, so it was getting very hard to. So stuff. that mid to late nineties slump is that that period, like? Uh, the, yeah, yeah, nineties to early two thousand. Yeah. yeah, like ninety four to early two thousand. Yeah. Yeah, and and, and so um, like, because I'm I'm like you, like uh, when I think of Green Lantern and all that stuff, I think of Gil Kane's like Hal Jordan, you know what I mean? Like it's just, oh, yeah, me too. I mean, yeah. that's all I think of. I, yeah. You know. And I, I loved his work on edge and, and, and like, I mean, was he, I imagine an older gentleman by this point? Cause he's still putting out. Great oh, yeah, work. No, he, yeah. he was, he was uh, getting quite old. He was also sick for most of it. So. Was he really? Yeah. And it must've been yeah, well, great I mean, for he, you. No, he, he died. Of he died of the same cancer that Archie died of. Oh, that's sad. 
Um, yeah. It must have been great for you, such an icon, because they do say it's hard meeting, you know, quote unquote, your heroes. And then you oh, it was, you know, but but one, you know, we hit it off well, and I think partly because I was very conversant with his work and yes. uh, and the interviews that he did, I could quote from the interviews that he did, which impressed him no end. Right, and uh, and what did he think know, of how we, comics just, have gone? You know, and he he generally liked you know liked my ideas of what I was pitching, and you mm. know, and we had ended, you know, we would. Past the point where we started Edge, but once we started Edge, we started, you know, we talked like once or twice a week until he died. So, oh, good. Yeah. And we, we talked about, I mean, if we did all the projects we talked about, we would have had, you know, a couple hundred books out there. But Oh, my God. So, I mean, it, yeah, so it's crazy. Like, um, and Richard, uh, my co-host, had a question. This is his question, uh, yeah. and he's the Green Lantern aficionado. So he says... Um, he he wants to know why Gil Kane is not regarded on the same level as Stanley or Jack Kirby and some of the other great character creators. He did phenomenal work and created one of the first graphic novels, but never seems to be put on the same level as, say, Kirby or Ditko. Um, what do you think? I couldn't say. And by the way, his name is Savage, was a huge influence on my approach to The Punisher. Yeah. Uh, that was his graphic novel back in the 60s, wasn't it? Yeah, that was his, yeah. his magazine in the, in the 90s, uh, not 90s, the end of the 60s that he uh, left Green Lantern to do and then, uh, you know, had to go back to D.C. to pay for. And, uh, but um, I, you know, can't answer that question because in this house he is. I was going to say, like. I don't like, know why he isn't elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, like I put Gil Kane when I think of classic artists, and I'm no expert. I think of him right up there. Like you know, even his look, I think um, DC house style took a lot from, just like they took a lot from like a Neil Adams. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. Like I mean, when I see Hal Jordan, I still think of his Hal Jordan. You know, um, oh, sure. yeah, it's crazy. Um, now, reading <laughs> reading uh, Edge was it annoying to you? when the Ultimates became a big thing a few years after you did Edge, because the Ultimates are in Edge, and then the Ultimates become a thing. Yeah, that was kind of irritating. I bet. But, uh, I bet, yeah. You know, but, and as a matter of fact, I uh, I dropped a line to Mike Richardson, and I said, you know, Marvel is going to put out this book called The Ultimates. You want to put out a book called The Ultimates? Because uh, I, I got these characters from Edge. I still have the, you know, I still have the rights, so we can put it out. And... Uh, Mike got back to me on it and said, yeah, let's do it. But unfortunately, he got back to me a year and a half later. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> By which point, it was kind of after the fact. And, uh, and uh, yeah, you know, that was mildly irritating. But it's not like it's, you know, it's not like we had trademarked the Ultimates or anything. We hadn't done the Ultimates in their own book or anything. So yeah. There, there not, was... a lot, not a lot that could be done about it outside of what I suggested. But. Yeah, no. Um, now I didn't realize doing some research that you did some, um, wrestling comics and looking at Amazon, uh, they seem to be stone cold Steve Austin comics. Like, can you give us like the, what, what was happening there? Like, did did they reach out to you or how did that happen? Uh, well, a bit of both. I mean, I, I like pro wrestling. I actually didn't start watching pro wrestling until very late, uh, like 87 i started watching pro wrestling sure and uh, we my wife and i were living in los angeles at the time and she was going to paralegal school in uh yeah ucla and she comes home one day and says hey, you ever heard of king kong bundy and i thought um <laughs> yeah wrestler right you know i paid no attention to pro wrestling at that yeah time. And she, it turns out that she was going to school with King Kong Bundy's girlfriend. So right. 
They they had a uh, WWF was running a one of their Saturday night shows that weekend, and he was on it. So I thought, okay, I'll take a look. And I watched this, and none of it was, you know. And it was like, okay, that's fine. But then they got to this match between um, Randy Savage, who I had never seen before, and Bret Hart, who they the really Macho Man identify. Randy Savage. Oh yeah, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Randy, well, you know, if, if you see my thing on. Uh, <laughs> On Facebook, the mask on my body is Randy yes. Savage. So. But, um, you know, and I watched this match, and it was, like, just fascinating. And I thought, this is, like, the closest thing I've ever seen to what I do for a living that isn't what I do for a living. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And at that point, I got kind of fascinated by it. So, I, But I I was always less, more fascinated by the booking than I was, than I was by the actual wrestling, although I can appreciate the wrestling. And... Um, so anyway, they were doing uh, Undertaker comics over at Chaos Comics, and uh, Brian Polito got in touch and said, hey, we, we're doing a uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin comic. We want to do a Stone Cold Steve Austin comic, and I was told you know something about wrestling, so you want to do it. And I said, yeah, sure. So then then I did that, and I did And was he like a hero fighting and crime and stuff, or was it in the ring? Like, what was it? No, no, it was, it was basically uh, you know, like the Hulk TV show. Right, he roaming They're around. All basically, like the Hulk TV show. Cool. You know, him off on his on an adventure. That's cool. And speaking of, because I love Rando um, Macho Man Savage. Did you ever do any uh, Macho Man Savage comics? No, no, oh, no. Did you get to meet him ever? Like, no. Oh, I don't what think a shame. Ben one. No, yeah, but did you get to meet any of these wrestlers when you're doing any of this stuff? Oh well, yeah, I mean, I, I Mick Foley and I know each other. Cool, cool. Yeah. Oh, that's and, cool. Uh, you know, I met The Undertaker once. I mean, did I meet anybody? No, not really. I mean, I've met some over the years, but not, you know, just kind of shake hand, things like that. Yeah, because I do know doing the show, we've been doing the show for about five years, a bit more. Um, there is, especially in the US, there is a bit of crossover between the wrestling audience and the comic audience. There oh, is there a, is now. Yeah. You know, yeah, a, it's, lot of, it's, a lot of the newer wrestlers are huge comic book fans. That's cool. That's cool. Um, now, look, I wanted to ask you, um, obviously, what you're doing now, um, but also uh, your Two Guns comic um, became, you know, a really cool movie a few years ago. Um, and how was that experience for you? Because I, I mentioned to quite a few people when I was going to have you on the show, I go, yeah, he did the comic that Two Guns is based on, and people were impressed. They, they enjoyed it. Like, it must have been fun. Well, two, two Guns was another thing that I had in the back of my head for a long time. I mean, I pitched it around a little as a comic in the in the uh, latish 90s, but by at that point, like, oh, dead zone. So, yeah. but it was one of these things that just nagged at me because I just liked the concept of it, which is, it started out as as the idea of a gang of, of criminals who were all, without knowing it, they were all actually undercover cops trying to bust each other. <laughs> That's funny. And... And uh, but having too many of them was just kind of unworkable from a plot point of view. So I uh, I whittled it down to two and that became two guns. And that, you know, so you've got two guys who are both undercover cops and don't know it. You know, Love neither that. of them knows that the other one is an undercover cop. And then, you know, hilarity ensues. So I was <laughs> and I, I just, um, you know, and this stuck with me. So I just wrote one at one point I had nothing to do. So I just decided I'm going to write this up. Yeah. So I wrote it up as a, as a screenplay and was actually about to sell it in 2001, Was had gotten people interested in it, was about to sell it in 2001, 
flew into Los Angeles, or drove into Los Angeles. That's uh-huh. right. I was living, Jay had just moved to Las Vegas at the time. It was, he drove, drove into uh, Los Angeles on a Sunday night for a meeting on Monday morning. I get up Monday morning, I turn on the TV, and there's buildings with planes in them. Oh, no, it's a 9-11. Yeah, okay. And I'm going what the hell is this? Because, yeah. I mean, at first I thought it was fiction because yeah. I had seen this plot line on a show called Lone Gunman, which was a spinoff from X-Files, because yeah. they had that plot line in it. Yeah. And um, and then I realized that it was true, and then I started getting calls saying the meeting's called off, and yeah. then suddenly Hollywood wanted nothing to do with anything with a hint of violence in it. So and it was like... Okay, so I spent a, I got to spend five days roaming around uh, Los Angeles and meeting old friends and things, and then yeah. went home. And uh, then a few years later, uh, Ross Ritchie, who uh, apparently I had showed this to at some point, I don't remember this at all, yeah. but he said, hey, do you still have two guns? And I said, yeah, because I didn't, like I say, I was baffled that he knew about it. Yeah. But uh, apparently I had showed it to him at some point. And... Uh, he said, because I'm starting up this company called Boom, and I really want to turn it into a comic book. And I said, mm. yeah, sure, go ahead. And so I handed him the script, and they, they turned the comic book in, the script into a comic book. An and excellent one. And, and then Hollywood gets interested. Yeah. And well, and then, but the thing was, is that Ross shopped this around. Yeah. You know, so then, you know, then it, uh, he said, and so it was like six years, I think, from the point he published the, well, actually, from the point I gave him the manuscript to the point the movie came out was like six years. But it was great. I mean, it was, you know, I, I, I love, I love it when I don't have to do any work and it just comes, you know. Well, I mean, in, in such when a, everybody else does the work, that's fa- that's fantastic. Think of all the projects over the years. I mean, like every single creative person, a comic person, you would have had so many projects that you've tried so hard to get somewhere that just get stuck in development. Oh hell. yeah, no, I've got piles of them. Everybody yeah, but one, help. but one sneaks through and becomes a movie that kind of topped the box office and is fondly remembered. I mean, it's on Hulu, it's on wherever right now. Oh, yeah, right? So yeah, it's it's damn cool. Um, did that has that opened? any doors for you with Hollywood? Like, is any interest in a, well, yes other and, stuff? Yes and no. I mean, everybody, uh, a lot of people know my name. Yeah, yeah. You know, but uh, it's, no, it, you know, the doors don't really open in Hollywood. You have to kick them open no, no matter what. It's a tough do. business. I, I generally don't shop stuff around in Hollywood. I work, I know various producers, so I talk to them and they yeah. do the work because I I don't have the patience or the... Uh, no, I hear and it's Near hard. Like, people, uh, so, so have you written other time. screenplays? Have you written other screenplays? Uh, I've written a couple of these, but, you know, they were junk. Yeah. Uh, hey, man, like, I'm a writer too, and, and I know that, like, you're not always writing gold, but as long as you're writing, you know what I mean? Like, that's the, that's yeah. the key, yeah. and you've got cool I, ideas. Frankly, frankly, I think it's it's a better deal at this point to, to create comic books yeah. and let people come to you and say, we want to do this, because... Yeah. Then you own the IP. If you if you here's the thing about screenplays. If you write a screenplay and sell them a screenplay, you're selling them the IP with the screenplay. Yeah, agreed. If you write a comic book and they want to make a movie out of it, they have to buy the IP from you, and the IP is where the money is. Uh, totally agree with you there on that unless point. Unless yeah. you happen to get lucky enough to sell for a million dollars, which nobody does that anymore. No, exactly. And, and and you see now, like especially Hollywood has become so fixated on comic books over the last, say, twelve, you know, fifteen years. Well, okay. it's it's like Two Guns is a 
comic book movie that no one knows is from a comic book. You know, yeah. so uh, there's a lot of those out there. It's like Road there's to Perdition. Road to Perdition. Like, yeah, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Yeah. There are a lot of projects that are being done by Hollywood that nobody knows or kind of came from comic books. No, it's cool. Um, well, Stephen, I want to mention. Um, have you? What are you working on now? What can? What can? You know, where can people find you? What are you working on now? Because we wish you uh, all the best, man. Well, uh, I let's see. I'm working on lots of stuff. I can't talk about. Uh, sure. I'm. Uh, there's actually, in theory, there is a movie that will be made in a film filming in Australia this fall. All right. Um. Based on a uh, book that I did for um, a little-known book that I did for Avatar Press back in the uh, in the um, early 2000s, called uh, Mortal Souls. Okay, cool. Which is a which is a sort of a horror crime concept. Right. And uh, and then there's there the other one that I did is this uh, weird. There's no way to describe it. It's just this weird <laughs> crime concept called yeah. uh, called My Flesh is Cool, which is the sort of thing that if you understand that, if you get the title, if the title resonates with you, you'll probably like the book. If it doesn't, you probably won't. Is it My Flesh and, is Cool, uh, did you say? My Flesh is Cool. Okay. Yeah. Is it zombies and, or something? Or hmm? Is it zombies or something like that? Or No, 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 no. It's yeah. nothing like that. It's nothing okay. like that. It's, it's about a uh, hitman who commits his hits by by body shifting. Ah, right, cool. And but that's only the start of it and it gets it goes screwy very after the first the between the first and the second issue there's this huge jump and it's uh, it goes very screwy but but that's being uh, shopped around as the TV series right now. Really? And was that is that a comic that you've put out already? It's based no, on that came, that came out from Avatar about the same time that, that more like wow sometime in the early two thousands I forget well I like the concept so good luck with that that sounds like a killer concept to me and yeah. uh, so that's being shopped around right I mean we've got uh, we've got a major studio and a pro big production company behind that so right. theory will be done someday but you never know with these things uh, I'm like I said I'm writing a whisper graphic novel that brings her up to date fantastic and sort of sort of punctuates it. But uh, but we'll see. And can and, can uh, can can um, readers your old whispers are they in a trade paperback or something like who owns uh, that? Actually, if you a company called Comic Comic Mix C O M I C M I X, and I think it's just there. It's just www comic mix but it's also these books are on amazon they they have published two whisperer uh omnibuses and will be publishing the third one sometime soon fantastic so Excellent. that's i think like ish ish between issue like the first capital issue and issue 24 of the first series they've got they've collected oh fantastic and uh matter of fact do i have them floating around here anywhere I've got them around here someplace, yeah, but I'm but, aware. But, but people can track those down, and I do recommend people do that because these this whisper stuff is pretty cool. So, and then I'm writing uh, several books for. Uh, well, I've got a book coming that I've cut a deal with Dark Horse for that I can't talk about mm. because it hasn't been announced yet. And I'm doing a couple different books for uh, a little company called Moonstone Press, which mm -hmm. I also which also haven't been announced yet. So. I have a lot of things out there that I can't talk about. All right. Well, it's very, it's very frustrating. Well, Stephen, this has been a fantastic conversation. And I do want to say when you have some of this stuff coming out, please feel free to come back on if you'd like to, because oh, it's single. Yeah, we're huge supporters of your work. And I just want to say thank you so much for coming on and thank you for all the great well, work you've given us over the years. 
Well, thank you very much. All right. And that's Stephen Grant. Mm-hmm.